0: You are Locked On Bills, your daily Buffalo Bills podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. What's up, Bills Mafia? It's Joe Marino from the Draft Network, and I'm your host of Locked On Bills. Today's episode is brought to you by Rock Auto. They have amazing selection, reliably low prices, and all the parts your car will ever need. Visit rockauto.com and tell them Locked On sent you. Happy Wednesday to you. It's time for Herd Mentality, and we got a lot to get to. Tons of great submissions this week. I won't waste any of your time. Let's get to it. The first one today comes from Ted. Ted says, if you were Brandon Bean, would you rather go into this draft needing a plug-and-play Sam linebacker or plug-and-play right tackle? well, the linebacker would be the one I would pick. A lot easier to find a a linebacker than a right tackle. As you guys know, the Bills really haven't had right tackle solidified in a long, long time. So not only would I put a premium on the right tackle position being solidified because it's a more meaningful position than Sam linebacker, I would say that the added value of making sure Josh Allen is protected – gives that the um, the position I'd want to have solidified and you know going into the draft needing a sam linebacker and when you're the, the bills and you play in sub package most of the time you know like probably 70 80% of the time if not more you know your sam linebacker is not really on the field that much so uh, definitely definitely the linebacker over the right tackle next one comes from my cat sucks <laughs> not a cat guy here. Uh, they say, with all the talk of the cap being lower in the upcoming season, I think this will be advantageous to Bean and McDermott. They have proven year after year that they can bring in players on the cheap and get great performance out of them. It's certainly not an ideal situation, but their history of finding diamonds in the rough has to be better than most other teams out there. They bring in guys like Daryl Williams, who then goes on to shut down T.J. Watt. They've also pulled off a lot of beneficial trades and a few contract restructures. I can't wait to see what McBean does this offseason to make them better. I mean, really, which GM would you rather have in this cap scenario than Brandon Bean? I think it's a good point. Um, You really do like their ability to find meaningful players on lesser deals, whether that's John Feliciano or Darrell Williams, like you mentioned. I think John Brown and Cole Beasley were real bargains for their price tags. Jordan Poyer certainly comes to mind. Um, You know, they certainly had some misses as well along the way, but this will be a real test of your front office, and not just for the Bills, but all of the NFL. You know, what type of pro scouting department do you have in place to get guys on lesser deals that can come in? and fill big roles for your team. So, yeah, I think I do have a lot of confidence in Brandon being being the one to lead this offseason. Chad says, being from England, supporting the rugby team that the Bills signed Christian Wade inspired me to choose the Bills as my team to follow. Wade has out-and-out pace to burn, which I feel is something we have been lacking this season at running back. So just wondered what your thoughts were on him for next season – On Firstly, if he could be good enough to feature in the NFL, and if so, what impact can he have? Chad, it's such a difficult question to answer because Christian Wade's 30 years old and hasn't played football before 2019, and his only experience playing football is in a couple of preseason games where he made some fun plays. But to play football at the highest level, having never done it, until recently, being 30 years old, you know, it's hard to really say, Hey, I have expectations for this player. I think we're all kind of interested. He's had two years with the team now to learn. Let's see where he's at. But given that nobody's had any new exposure to him since the preseason in 2019, I don't think we can realistically have an expectation other than we're interested. It's exciting. And, uh, you know, we need to see him play, uh, before he gets in an NFL game. So I don't think that really answered the question. I think we're all optimistic, but I think there's, there's a piece of it that we probably need to be reminded that it's probably unlikely that he does develop into a meaningful player in the NFL, but we, we're certainly all rooting for him. Anthony says, how much did the bills miss Lorenzo Alexander in 2020 seemed like, His hybrid position was never really filled by anyone else on the roster. Would love your take. You know, Lorenzo Alexander is an extremely unique football player. You don't really find guys that can play stand-up linebacker, rush from the edge, rush from the interior, and play four phases of special teams. I mean, he's a really unique guy. And I think that the Bills, because they had Lorenzo Alexander, they used him. I don't know that he's a player that you go out and say, we lost him, and we have to have him back. I think it's an example of adjusting your scheme to your players because players like Lorenzo Alexander don't really come along very often, very unique. I don't really know any other NFL players that can play stand-up outside linebacker, rush from the edge, and rush from the interior with their hand in the dirt. So would a player like Lorenzo Alexander be helpful? Absolutely. I think Lorenzo Alexander is a better off-ball linebacker than AJ Klein, and his added benefit of leadership and pass rush inside and outside makes him a useful player. But again, I don't think he's a player that you say we have to get a player that can do all of those things. It's more a benefit that you have that player, so you use him in those ways. But you know, his role was replaced by a number of people. One of them being AJ Klein. Another of them being you know whatever defensive end, defensive tackle you want to insert that they brought in. Like his his role was filled by three different players. So it'd be great to have a player like that, and if the Bills do want that, they should check out Zavin Collins, the linebacker from Tulsa. Bet online is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action. Yeah, the football season might be over, but NBA, college basketball, and the NHL seasons are all in full swing And betonline.ag even covers awards, TV shows, and reality TV. If you want real-time updated odds and props on almost anything you can imagine, you have to check out betonline.ag. They have you covered for all the new scores and odds, and it's the best way to place your bets, and it's free to sign up. Head on over to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive a 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit when you use our promo code LOCKEDON online, your online sportsbook experts. Next one comes from Maccabee who says, what does the comp pick formula look like for the Bills this year? With the rosterable pending free agents we have and our lack of cap space, we obviously won't be able to re-sign everyone, nor should we. How heavily do you think the comp picks will matter to Bean when making these off-season decisions this year in particular? How much do you think a decreased salary cap will affect the average per year for the free agents we do end up losing, and what does that mean for the Bills comp pick formula? So keep in mind the the benefits of this offseason as it relates to comp picks, they don't they don't give the Bills more picks this year. They'll get picks in 2022. So I think this could be the first time that we see the Bills really benefit from comp picks. It's not something that Brandon Bean has prioritized in previous off-seasons, and I think part of that is because he's had quite a bit of cap space to work with, and so you know, for him it was about getting rosterable players uh, that were veterans in the NFL and not really choosing to let players walk, not replace them, and just hope to get uh, something in the fourth, fifth, sixth round, something like that for a comp pick. Um, But this is that year where the Bills will probably have a situation where the amount of players they bring in is not equitable with what they let go. And when you have more players that leave than what you are able to retain in terms of free agents, right, expired contracts, not players that were released or traded, expired contracts, I think the bills are in good shape to get, some compensatory picks in the 2022 NFL draft. Keep in mind that there is a maximum of 32 compensatory picks handed out each year. And so while this makes a lot of sense for the bills, it does for a lot of teams. There's very few teams that are, you know, brimming with cap space. that are going to be able to really um, have a net negative when it comes to players in versus players out on expired contracts. So, it's something to keep in mind um it's the first time that bean will really have the opportunity to show he cares about comp picks and the challenging layer to all of this is a lot of teams are going to have to say goodbye to a lot of players so uh there's a lot of layers to it this this time around but in the past brandon bean has prioritized you know veteran free agents over mid-round compensatory picks. Brian says, I'd like to run some things by you regarding Hamza nasr Dean. I've become sort of obsessed with the idea of him as the Buffalo nickel you keep talking about. And I'm noticing the impact similar players like Jeremy Chin and Kyle Duggar are having on their defenses. The thing is I saw PFF say they were really down on nasr Dean and they viewed him as a potential day three pick. But then on your Draft Dudes podcast, Jim Nagy said he was super impressed with Nasr al-Din, and he thinks he's similar to Chin and Duggar. Where do you lie on him? Do you think he can be as impactful as Jeremy Chin and Kyle Duggar, or are you worried about his ability to find a position that suits him, like PFF is a la Isaiah Simmons? So I like Hamza Nasr al-Din, and you you have to go back to 2018 to really appreciate his skill set. He got... Injured late in twenty eighteen and really missed almost all of twenty nineteen with, you know, recovery from the ACL tear, but I thought he looked pretty healthy at the senior bowl. I thought he looked good. Um, did a good job in coverage against tight ends, which is really the appeal there for Nasser Dean And so I think he's a, a day two player for me in terms of where I would draft him. And you do have to have a plan for him, right? If you're not gonna draft him and, and think he's a linebacker or a safety only because I don't think that's doing him a service. He's a guy that projects pretty well to a number of positions, but not perfectly to anyone. And so if you want to take the avenue of, well, I'm not really sure where his best fit is in the NFL and I don't trust his team to figure that out. And so I'm going to be low on Hamson nasr Dean. well then, fine. That That's your that's the way you're going to subscribe to it. But if you can evaluate his tape and see what he can do and project that to an NFL defense, a specific one like the Bills, and understand that they're in sub a lot and they want to play matchups and they can use range and a tight end eraser, you could see a clear path to him having success. So yeah, give me nasr Dean all day long on day two, and obviously the comments from Jim Nagy, um, really echoed a lot of what I just said there, and if you guys missed that, the Draft Dudes podcast—I think it was our our Monday podcast, uh, maybe a couple of weeks ago. So check it out in the feed and listen to uh, Nagy and I talk about the Senior Bowl. And I asked him a lot of very uh, self-serving questions, so whether it was Nasril Dean or Kadarius Tony, you know, some of those Bills angles, I certainly uh, fed into them in the questions I asked Jim. So check that out on the Draft Dudes podcast. Next question comes from Rick, also one very similar, sent in by Vin. Uh, Rick says, was just wondering your thoughts on Chuba Hubbard. Is he someone you think the Bills should target later in the draft? Which round would you say he should go in? Chuba Hubbard is a running back from Oklahoma State. Very productive in 2019, uh, not so much in 2020. I'm not very high on Chuba Hubbard. I think he's got very inconsistent vision. I think he's undersized. I don't think he has great contact balance. And for a player with his type of skill set, more of an elusive shifty back, you know, you want to see better production as a receiver and more consistency with his route running in his hands. So uh, I think he's a late day three caliber prospect, and I, I think there's too many missing pieces to his skill set for me to really like him uh, for the Buffalo Bills. So he'd be a pass for me um, in this discussion. Jeff says, my question is about the NFL salary cap. Is the salary cap something that exists the entire year, even during the offseason? And by that, I mean, can teams sign players that are free agents or make trades for players and go over the cap, or are they not able to make those moves unless they would release players first? So being more specifically, can the Bills sign J.J. Watt without making any player moves and be under the salary cap and then decide what moves they have to make to get back under the cap before the regular season begins? So here's the answer to that. Every team has to be under the salary cap at the start of the new league year. So March 17th at 4 p.m. Eastern time is when the start of the new league year is for this year. And so at that moment, you have to be under the cap and you cannot go over it. So at at no point, After March 17th, can you go over the 2021 salary cap? So the cap is real. You can't spend more. And if you want to spend more, you have to create the space. And if the Bills were to sign J.J. Watt, that's fine. They can do that right now. But by March 17th, they would have to have the top 51 contracts on the team under whatever they set the salary cap at. Need to tell you guys about Built Bar. It's the best tasting protein bar on the planet. They have 18 amazing flavors. Some of my favorites are cookies and cream, cherry. I like the apple almond crisp. They're all delicious. They're all covered in 100% chocolate, and they're soft and easy to chew. It's like eating a candy bar, but they're good for you. Built Bar is great for anyone who is health conscious, whether you want to lose weight, maintain weight, or just indulge in a delicious treat. You got to try Built Bars. They're low-calorie. Low sugar, high protein, high fiber, and great for anyone on the keto diet. Got a deal for you. Go to builtbar.com and use promo code locked on, and you'll get 20% off your next order. Again, use promo code locked on for 20% off at builtbar.com. Next one comes from Justin, who says, I don't believe that JJ Watt is a much better defensive end as Jerry Hughes, but I do believe he is still a big difference maker, and has that name and resume that offenses do plan around because he's been a game wrecker on many occasions. I'm not in favor of throwing a ton of money his way to get him, but I would rather see Addison and Butler released, maybe restructure Jefferson's contract, and use that freed-up cap to sign him. If so, I believe with stars return, Oliver Phillips, Hughes, Epinesa, Watt, Jefferson, and Johnson – That would improve the D-line specifically if Epinesa and Oliver take a step forward in the offseason. What are your thoughts? Also, doesn't Watt usually play the left side? That would put Hughes back on the right side where he is used to playing. I really do want the Bills to sign J.J. Watt. He's right at the same age that Reggie White was when he signed with the Green Bay Packers. I think there's a lot of good football left in J.J. Watt. He's a power player and power wins in the NFL. He's still a very dominant football player. He played over 90% of the snaps for Houston last year. Obviously, I think he's a process guy through and through. He was the most frequent double-teamed player in the NFL last year. 30% of the snaps, J.J. Watt was double-teamed. 30%. Nobody higher. He commands attention, and that should be a benefit to everybody else on the defensive line. When you double somebody, that means you got one-on-one matchups everywhere, and you got to be able to win those, and obviously, any defensive line rotation that includes J.J. Watt is going to be an upgrade compared to what the Bills had last year. Now, here's the challenge, and we're going to have several more J.J. Watt questions here in, in a moment. The challenge is you free up that space to sign J.J. Watt, well, we've already been talking about freeing up space to find a right tackle, a right guard, and a linebacker next to Edmonds. So now you have to figure out how to free up even more cap space. You know, so it's just a challenging offseason. It just really is. It sucks. But, you, you know, if you're, if you're bringing in J.J. Watt, you're basically saying, well, you know, Milano, you're definitely not back. And, you know, we might have to really hope Darrell Williams takes a, a below average market deal or something to get our offensive line solidified. So there's give and take with the J.J. Watt idea, but <laughs> I want him. I want him on the team. Jones, he says, after listening to the podcast and both the defensive ends and tackles, as well as, of course, J.J. Watt now being available. I started thinking about the potential D-line group for next year, and I think it could be pretty scary. First of all, cut Butler and Addison, and then there's around $12 million to work with. Sign Watt, we could be looking at some kind of rotation like this. Watt, Oliver, Starr, Jerry, Epinesa, Jefferson, Phillips, Johnson. How does that sound to you, and how feasible do you think signing J.J. Watt is? Well, I think I kind of answered that with the last question there. I want J.J. Watt, but I also... Recognize that you're already in cap trouble. You're already in cap trouble, and this complicates it even more. So let's all uh, pray that the NFL comes in much higher than the 175, 180 discussion that has been the case, and that they're, you know, 190, 195. Because if this cap was going to be 215, like everyone was planning for it to be, be having a lot of different discussions right now. But the good news is everyone's got the same challenges. And, you know, everywhere you look, people look at the Bills as one of the likely suitors for JJ Watt. And so if it happens, we'll talk we'll talk a lot about it. And I, I hope it does, but I think we also have to recognize some of the challenges that come with trying to absorb that salary in addition to all the other things that the Bills have to address this offseason. Bills Collector says, I know a lot of Bills mafias calling for upgrades on the D-line and CB2 and free agency, but I say let's build on our strength. There's one player I keep picturing in a Bills uniform to take this offense to even another level, Curtis Samuel. Bean cuts John Brown and lets McKenzie walk, and situationally Samuel is an upgrade on both of them. Kadarius Toney won't be there at 30. Spotrac has Samuel valued at $12.4 million, He's 25 years old. Josh and Dable would unlock him all over the field, and he takes snaps at running back. Joe, is there any chance Bean can do this and make my dreams come true? Well, I, th- I think you made a you made a really important observation there in your question. Spotrac has Curtis Samuel valued at 12.4 million dollars. Can you do that? I mean, the Bills don't have that right now. I mean. Not only do they have to sign their draft class, they have to figure out a way to sign some players. You know, it's it, you're talking about if the Bills go after Curtis Samuel, he's going to be what option in the in the offense? Fourth option maybe? He doesn't help you in the return game. Yeah, I mean he's he's the he's everything you want Isaiah McKenzie to be, but bigger and more explosive and probably a slightly better down-the-field target. But can you justify a $12.4 million price tag? I think you have to find an economical option for that type of player. And maybe that is just bringing back Isaiah McKenzie and restructuring John Brown, and you have, you have everything figured out. If you don't think Tony's there at 30, and I, I don't disagree with you, I think that it's hopeful that he's there at 30, but there's other players that give you dynamic yards after catch and vertical Receiving ability, Diami Brown from North Carolina, Jalen Darden from North Texas, couple guys that come to mind. I just don't know that you can pay that kind of money to Curtis Samuel. I like the idea. Like the idea, I'm with you. I just I don't know that that price tag is I don't think the Bills can can do that. Kyle says, with all this JJ Watt talk, I was just curious. What his pressure rate was in comparison with the players that are currently on the roster? Would you also do the same with what seems like a perennial slept-on player in Ryan Kerrigan? And would Kerrigan be a good scheme fit? Your podcast is something I always look forward to. Thanks for doing it and lending your perspective. Thanks, Kyle. I really appreciate that. So I don't have all of those pressure rates to give you, but I did see a tweet that I think is appropriate to bring up right now that I think will answer that question. The tweet says, players who ranked in the top 10 last season among edge rushers in double teams faced but also pass rush win rate. And this is courtesy of ESPN. The whole list is Miles Garrett, Joey Bosa, Chase Young, J.J. Watt. And as I've already stated, J.J. Watt was double teamed on 30% of the snaps this year, the most in the NFL. So I promise you, J.J. Watt, He's a better pressure guy than anything the Bills have. And as far as Ryan Kerrigan goes, I really like Kerrigan. I don't think you can pay Kerrigan for his past production. You have to look at him where he's at in his career and be mindful of you know not overpaying for him, but on a one-year deal cheap, yeah, you'd love to have Ryan Kerrigan in the building. J.O. says, do you think Deontay Brown can handle the Chris Joneses? Would he be an upgrade over Feliciano? So J.O. is asking about Deontay Brown, an offensive lineman, a guard from Alabama, and if he can handle the Chris Joneses of the world. No. Deontay Brown is just doesn't have any mobility. None. He can create push in the run game, but there's I have no confidence that he can stay square in pass protection against twitched-up pass rushers. I think it's an, it's a nightmare idea. Uh, he's just too big. He's just too big. He has too much bad weight. He's got, he's got heavy feet. Just, yeah, he's NFL defensive linemen are going to eat him up unless he loses a bunch of weight. And with that doesn't come a major loss in power. So I, I would be out on the idea of Deontay Brown. Andrew has a couple of things on free agency that he wants to bounce around here. He said, I watched Moneyball recently, and the scene where the scouts are discussing how to replace Jason Giambi stuck with me. Sometimes I feel like fans take this kind of approach to re-signing or replacing meaningful players, demanding re-sign the guy that was good for us last year or replacing him with a guy that has a similar skill set. In reality, isn't it more likely that if someone isn't re-signed, we would see a new player and a minor scheme adjustment rather than a direct replacement. To take it a step further, I'm not sure we're looking at the right key guys to re-sign. I understand Milano and Daryl Williams were great for us last year, but taking into account that Milano was a bright spot on a largely unsuccessful defensive unit and Williams was a top performer on an O-line that underperformed in half of its duties, I think that taking a look at spreading that cash around and adjusting the scheme to improve each unit as a whole might be a better choice. Of course, using that logic would also mean keeping John Brown through the end of his deal as he was a key part of the best unit on the team. Well, I would would disagree with you on the John Brown piece of that, and you guys know I love John Brown, but at the end of the day, he played less than half the snaps and caught 33 passes on a historically great Bills offense. They were good. They were not good. They were great without John Brown. I think you have some good points here. You know, I I think good coaches adjust their scheme to their personnel, but that doesn't mean that you just take anybody and just make the adjustment. Like you're still looking for players that fit your scheme because that's the easiest way to kind of maintain continuity and, um, unleash the scheme the way you want it to. So there's, there's two sides of that coin. But yeah, if the Bills don't get Milano back or they don't get Williams back and they have a different player in those spots, they'll have to adjust. I mean, if it's A.J. Klein as the guy that replaces Matt Milano, then obviously Klein's not going to do the stuff that Milano does and you have to adjust. You probably have a platoon situation where you need to get more speed and range from a different player. If Williams isn't back you know you have to ask yourself if your reasoning for letting williams go is because the offensive line as a whole didn't run block well there's a chance that darrell williams run blocked very well but it you know other players around him didn't and he wasn't the reason why so you have to identify like is Daryl williams the reason why you didn't run the ball well that I, there's i don't think it's as simple as you you kind of made it in this in this question that you asked. I see where you're going. And I think the important takeaway is that you have to adjust your your scheme to your personnel. But I don't think it's as simple as saying, well, the Bills defense was bad last year, Milano was a good player and so he doesn't help, or the Bills offensive line didn't run block well and so Darrell Williams was part of that and so he's got to go. You know, I I don't subscribe to that completely. The next one comes from Zach who says I understand that our running back Room lacks straight line speed. Well, my concern with a potential ad centers around game day roster spots. If a back with speed is going to be our third active running back, where does that roster spot come from? If the back can't fill a significant special teams role, are there other depth players who can pick up the special team slack if we don't have a fourth running back active for that? Moss's Singletary were for the most part underwhelming this season, but if one of them was a healthy inactive with regularity, then it'd be hard to not see that third round pick as a big miss. Adding a back early in the draft seems like we'd be accepting the loss on one of the two, which I'm not ready to do this early. Well, Zach, I, I think there's some things to unpack here. First of all, on the game day roster spots, you know, Taiwan Jones and TJ Yeldon are both free agents. And That opens up two spots for running backs that are different if they want that to be the case. One of them will be inactive, one of them will be active, and that player will have to play special teams. So ideally, this third running back that brings speed can also help you on special teams. Or you look at it a little bit differently, and I always think that the tight end position is one where there's some options. Because you have Reggie Gilliam and then you have basically three more players that you roster. Well, you could roster one less tight end and then carry an extra running back and dress an extra running back. I think you have some flexibility in that department. So I'm not I'm not as concerned about rostering that player. As far as having Moss or Singletary inactive, that doesn't bother me at all. I do recognize what you're saying is that these are third-round picks and you want to give them every opportunity to prove what they can do. I respect that, but I respect more teams that understand they make a mistake and move on and don't cling to it and don't say, well, we took this guy in the third round, so we have to give them every opportunity, even if it's detrimental to our team. Like if they're not cutting it, they're not cutting it. I don't care where the player was drafted and how they were acquired and what they're making. You can't. You can't just let this play out because, well, we took both these guys in a third round. If they can't play, they can't play. And that's hypothetical. I'm not saying specifically on Moss and Singletary. I'm saying in general. But if you take a hard look at this offseason at your run game operation and you say, you know what, damn it, we didn't get enough diversity with the skill sets in the backfield and it's a detriment to our team, well, then make an adjustment and don't continue to dress Moss and Singletary, and have that be your running back tandem. If you deem it to be other issues, then continue to roll with those guys. But don't cling to mistakes because I think that's the worst thing that teams do. When you've identified an issue and you don't think that it can change, let them go. Move on. Next one comes from John who says... Just wondering what your thoughts are on Kyle Pitts, who dominated in college football's best conference. First-round tight ends don't have a great track record, but I've heard Tony Gonzalez comparisons. Do you see any scenario where the Bills would trade up for him, and what would that cost? Well, Kyle Pitts, tight end from Florida, special player. I think he's one of the 10 best players in this year's draft, and I don't see him getting outside of the top 10. I think he's Darren Waller 2.0 an F tight end that can play all over the formation and present a absolute nightmare matchup for defenses in the passing game. If the Bills want Kyle Pitts, they're going to have to get into the top 10. If you go from 30 to 10 or inside the top 10, I mean, you're talking about giving up a lot. I mean, Kansas City to go from 27 to 10 with the bills you remember what they gave up for that deal right you're giving up your you're giving up two first round picks at least and probably you know a couple of meaningful day 2 picks as well i wouldn't do that i wouldn't i just think that's too that's too much of a swing when you need volume you need like you need to go the other way you need to go backwards and acquire more picks to fill out your roster with young talent I wouldn't do it as far. I I love Kyle Pitts. Like I said, one of the 10 best players in the draft. My comp for him is Darren Waller. I think he's really special. And I think between Cincinnati, Philadelphia, Atlanta, the giants, one of those teams is going to be really happy with him early in the draft. Edgar says, you said that Josh Allen had the slowest time to throw the football at 2.78 seconds or so. And that the reason is because of his escapability. As I remember, Ben Roethlisberger used to play in a similar way. They used to say that the play started when the pocket collapsed. Nowadays, Roethlisberger has a totally different game. He has to get rid of the ball quickly because movement is not one of his best traits. How long do you think this way that Allen plays could last? So, just to clarify the statistic, uh, Josh Allen finished 2020 with an average time to throw of 3.04 seconds, which is the. Third slowest in the NFL behind Baker Mayfield and Jalen Hurts. Um, it's impossible to predict how long Josh Allen's going to play, how long his skill set is going to be sustainable in terms of the way he plays the game. Uh, we do know that every quarterback loses mobility, right? He's not always going to be as dynamic of an athlete as he is today. And so, with that, he'll have to evolve his game, right? He'll have to become a lot more comfortable as a pocket passer and not being so reliant on getting outside the pocket and making plays on the move. And you see that happen with lots of players. I mean, think about Peyton Manning and how he's evolved his game and Phillip Rivers and either one of those guys are mobile guys, but they're players who, you know, really had to develop precision passing instincts and anticipation and, Just pre-snap reads and mastery of the scheme to be effective as their arm talent decline later later in their careers. You think about Ben Roethlisberger, who, goodness gracious, I mean he's a shell of himself. Uh, Gets the ball out of his hands extremely quick and you know predetermines most of his throws and you know pretty much just sets his base and that's where he's going to be. And obviously he's a lot less effective. You know if if Josh can play as long as Ben Roethlisberger, that'd be great. But I don't I don't have any way of you know of guessing how long Josh Allen's going to play. You could tell he loves football, and he said things like this is all he's ever wanted to do is be an NFL quarterback, so I think he'll play as long as he can, but you know, it'll be interesting to see how his game evolves as his athleticism declines because that's going to happen for every player, including Josh Allen. You know, I don't know if Josh Allen's going to be a player that is still playing football at 40 years old or 38, 39, 40 years old. Do I think he can play into his mid-30s? For sure. It's just how late into his 30s can he go? But the good news, he's 24 years old, and we're not anywhere near having to be concerned about physical decline from Josh Allen and that impact in the way he plays the game. Bo says, wanted to get your take on a defense strategy item. I used to be a 3-4 guy for defensive lineup, but about 20 years ago, I went to liking the 4-3. Now with the league being a passing league more than ever, I am back to a 3-4 wagon. I even have taken it one step further with saying a 3-3-5 setup with that Buffalo nickel in there. I know that a big importance of defense is being successful is getting pressure with four. But in a 3-4 or 3-3, one of the linebackers can move up on the line on each snap if needed. And by changing that up on a play-by-play basis, it would keep the O-line on their toes more by not knowing who or where or if that person is is coming up to the line. It could be delayed, but also giving opposing quarterbacks something else to think about post-snap. What are your thoughts on this manner? I think at my core I'm a 4-3 guy, Um, and that's because I love defensive line play and two-gapping is boring. (laughs) I'll be honest with you. I like attack-style defensive linemen that penetrate the line of scrimmage, get in the backfield and make plays. So that really is a big part of, of my personal bias there. I do think there's some merit to what you're saying in terms of three four being the better plan um, with defending modern offenses and I think elements of a three three five is a good idea and I think you're seeing teams do that a lot more look at the Carolina Panthers uh, kind of employing that slot safety bringing over Phil Snow who was a college defensive coordinator for a hundred years you know a lot of time in the big 12 understands you know the right ways to match up with spread offenses and he started to introduce some of that stuff in Carolina. So I am for scheme multiplicity that that's what I think more than anything. So being multiple, being able to do all kinds of stuff, show three man fronts, four man fronts, you know, you know, five DB looks slot safeties, you know, just being versatile with your skill sets and personnel packages and groupings and your fronts and alignments. I think that's what matters. Um, so I think the best way to play defense in today's world is all of the above. And you have to, I mean, these NFL offenses are just, they're attacking you with pace and space and trying to create mismatches and, you know, problems for you in terms of personnel groupings. Well, give it right back to them. Have answers. So I just think it's an all of the above type approach. I really do. Ian says, apologies in advance for potentially opening up Pandora's box here, but with draft season on our doorstep, I've been playing around with seven-round mocks for the Bills. After filling out about a dozen of them that I was mildly excited about, I settled on one that would be personally thrilling. Love to hear your two cents on my top three picks. So Ian's top three picks are, in the first round, Wyatt Davis guard Ohio State. Second round, Hamza Nasr-Odine, uh, you know DB Big Nickel from Florida State, and in the third round, Dwayne Eskridge, a wide receiver from Western Michigan. I think this is okay. This signals to me that John Feliciano is gone, and you needed to have a starter at guard. Um, so you went with Davis in the first round, who I think that's th- pick thirty is a little high for me with Davis, but I don't hate it. I think he's going to be a good starter. I like Nassar Dean. Eskridge is interesting. I mean, he's really twitched up, but he's like 24 years old, a converted defensive back. He's great at the Senior Bowl, but, you know, like, we've seen this happen at the Senior Bowl, whether it was Penny Hart or Braxton Miller, you know, and they don't really translate to the NFL. Now, sometimes they're Terry McLaurin so, or Debo Samuel or you know that type of player. But, you know, Eskridge... I think he's got some more warts in his game, and that's why he's a third-round guy, right? Like, he's not a first- or second-round pick in this scenario. So I think this is okay. I, I, th- I just have questions. I don't think Davis is a great value in the first round. nasr I like, and then, you know, Eskridge I have questions about. And, you know, I, where's, the, where's the premium positions here with early picks, right? Like, that's another question here. You're talking about an interior offensive lineman and a sub-package defender for defense, so I don't know. I, I I feel like I have some holes I can poke here. And you guys, hey, listen. You know that whenever you guys send me mock drafts, you know you're you're going to get a lot of honesty from me because this is my this is my wheelhouse. I've been working on these players since May, and um, you know you you have to be prepared for some real honest feedback if you send me mock draft scenarios or you ask ask. I, I've been asked about players in this. In this uh, podcast today, Deontay Brown, I was all the way out on that idea. So I'll, I'll, I'll be honest with you. You guys know that. Tim says, I've been doing some mock drafts, and Hampson nasr Dean has been getting selected early to mid-third round, and I know that he fits what McDermott wants as a Buffalo nickel. Would he be a reach at our pick in the second round? And I also got a mock draft that I'd like to get your opinion on. So Tim has Tevin Jenkins, offensive tackle, Oklahoma State at pick 30, uh, nasr Dean at 62, Jabril Cox, linebacker, LSU at 93. Shaka Tony, edge from Penn State at 162. Jamar Jefferson, running back, Oregon State at 175. And the wide receiver, Amir Smith, Marset at 215. I like Tevin Jenkins at 30. That's a nasty run blocker. I mean, you're gonna get you're gonna get some push out of that guy. He wants to maul, and he's a physical player. I like that at pick 30. Obviously, there's uh, it's a premium position, so I like it even more. Nasser at 62, never going to be mad about that. Jabril Cox at 93, that is a steal. I think he's going to wind up being a day two pick, a higher day two pick, like second round. Uh, coverage matchup linebacker, he's really, really good in space. You don't love him, you know, between the tackles in terms of sifting out the run game and playing downhill, but you can play him in man coverage on tight ends, and he brings a ton of speed and range. I don't like Shakatone at all. Um, so, I don't think he's a good fit for the Bills. I think he's got a very underwhelming skill set. Jamar Jefferson certainly would give the Bills a receiving threat and speed out of the backfield, which I like. And then, uh, you know, depth at receiver, I'm fine with. So, I, I mostly love this. I mostly just didn't like uh, the Tony pick, but I, I really like the rest of it. So, uh, that is a mock draft that I personally can get behind. All right, folks, that'll do it for us today on this week's episode of Herd Mentality. Tomorrow, our performance review continues with cornerbacks. It's our last position on defense, and so uh, on Friday, we'll welcome Bruce Snowen from the Bruce Exclusive Podcast to Locked On Bills to you know just talk about the defense, all the tough questions that I've unpacked along the way as we've done the performance review series on defense. I'm going to send them to Bruce to add another perspective on things to the podcast. So don't miss it. Make sure you're subscribed. Rate, review, and share the podcast, and I look forward to catching up with you again tomorrow.